Hi there, it's Gary Turner here, your Value Through Vulnerability host. Today I had the absolute pleasure of welcoming Lorna Leeson from Little Tent onto the podcast. Lorna and I have only met over the last uh, 12 months or so via Twitter, which is a, a very common medium uh, to be meeting these days. And we had the pleasure actually of, of meeting face to face a couple of months ago. And I have to say, Lorna's passion, her energy, her drive to truly rehumanize individuals in the world of work is really inspiring to me personally. And I think one of the things that I took away in particular from our conversation is that she is yet another example of how the corporations, how big business just isn't keeping up with what we need or what we desire from the world of work. And that's not a generational thing, whether we're millennials or Gen Z or whatever. It's just the fact that with technology, with the ability to flexible work, et cetera, organizations just are not keeping up with how we could give them best value. I think Lorna is another politely casualty of big corporate not adjusting to what Lorna's needs were. You know, how could she actually craft a role to give them even more value? Um, really, really fascinating reflection that for me. I also loved hearing that Lorna's first love is theatre and performing arts. And you'll hear more about how this does link with her practice with regards to how she serves leaders uh, and organisations to better versions of themselves. So... I'm going to stop going on because I absolutely love this conversation. I know that you're going to get a lot to take away from it. So again, it's Lorna Leeson from Little Tent, and uh, she and I would look forward to any feedback that you may be kind enough to offer. Thanks very much. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. This afternoon, I'm very grateful to welcome Lorna Leeson from Little Tent onto the podcast. Hi, Lorna. Hello. How are you? Are you How well? Are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I am very, very good. Thank you. I'm just staring out my lovely view, sun setting, and it doesn't feel like it's December tomorrow. It's bonkers. No, I know. Where's the year gone, Gary? Where's the year gone? <laughs> Well, I'd like to explore that with you a bit, actually, because can you give a little introduction before we get going, actually? So, you know, who is Lorna? What's your background? What do you do for work? And what are you passionate about? Oh, my goodness, Gary, I don't think we've got time. Um, so <laughs> who, who, who am I? Uh, great question. So until, and, until about a year ago, I got a really good answer for this because I got a proper job and um, I could say to people, um, I am global head of change management for um, a company called XPO Logistics and we've got 90,000 people worldwide in 32 countries and um, I do this with a transformation program and yeah, I could box it off really nicely and it was really nice and neat and tidy and it didn't feel like me at all. Um, and so I took... Um, it's really bizarre. I went to see School of Rock with my eight-year-old niece last year and I came out of that and thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to, um, I'm feeling like I'm, you know, a teacher in School of Rock who got a bit dull and a bit boring and lot forgotten who she was. I thought, God, that's me. I miss whatever her name is. Um, and um, so the very next day happened to be the only day that me and my boss were in the same country uh, that quarter and I met him for coffee on the South Bank and I said I don't I can't do this anymore um, I'm I'm giving more of myself than I want to give and I'm not getting enough back and I'm not getting the opportunity to do all the other things that I want to do 
So I gave um, that job four months notice. And then I took a cruise to Caribbean and never ever do again. Oh my goodness, that was hell. I was one of the Caribbean wasn't, but being on a cruise ship with the kind of people who go on cruises, um, or on a boat indeed. And then I took a break and I slept for a while. And in the beginning of this year, I set up what I do. And I think what I do is I deal with um, people, usually leaders, who want to make a change. Um, as I put it, a change for the better, to do things better. Um, so I, either that's working one-on-one -on -one as individuals um, and they want to make a change for the better with themselves. And you would call that executive coaching, I guess, if you want to be a bit wanky about it. Um, or working with organisers who are making change or um, and that could be a different way of approaching leadership or it could just be when all of this change and we need to know people are at the heart of that. Does that sum it up? I don't know if I answered your question. You have, you have indeed. You oh, have indeed. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's, it's absolutely awesome. I, I, what, what I want to pick up on actually, Lorna, what you just said, you spoke about you part of this big corporate animal that should have mm. basically given you everything pro probably that the outside world thinks you should ever want or need or desire yet you didn't feel like you at all i think that's a really really powerful sort of reflection that yeah yeah so i think um i think this phrase has become trite right but this idea of bringing your whole self to work um, it's been quite popular recently and it really resonated with I on who who am I what do I want to do what do I want to bring to the world what's everything that makes me and what am I passionate about and what is what, what of that am I actually getting to do versus what am I having to do because this is the the role in the organization the place that I found myself in um, and I just it, it wasn't working for me. Brilliant organisation, brilliant job. And I actually did a, did a, a talk at um, the World of Learning not long after I'd left my job and they were still badging me as oh, I had a change. And this woman in her kind of, I would say she's in her mid-twenties, kind of early starting off in her career, came up to me at the end and she said, oh, oh, how did you get to where you are? And I thought, bloody hell, that's a great existential question, isn't it? And I thought, I knew what she meant. She wanted to know how I did you know, got to that job and how could she do it? And she'd heard about the traveling nature of it and the exciting nature of working with people and change and organizations. And at the time I was thinking, oh love, no, <laughs> stand back, <laughs> not what you need, look the other way. This is not the droid you are looking for. Um, so yeah, it, it wasn't an epiphany, Gary, because that part of wanting to do something more had always been in me, but it was certainly a sense that I couldn't be everything that I wanted to be within the organization context that I was in. And I spend a lot of time reflecting on that and thinking, wouldn't it be great if we could build organizations where that didn't need to happen? Cool. Yeah. It's yeah. Well, well let's get into some of that. Cause I think that's, that's really, really, really powerful, really powerful. Cause one of the things I was going to ask you was actually around what was your trigger to leave and you've given, You've given quite a, quite a bit of that already, but I just, I just guess, I'm just interested to understand, Lorna, was, 
when you first got into that corporate role, you know, because I think your background is really interesting for me. So sort of looking at your degree in, um, I think you've got a, a degree in theatre, then you've got a master's in HR. How do all those different mm-hmm. things, how have those things led you to where you are today? Are you able to sort of combine them? Do they, do they serve each other to some extent within your practice? I'm just really ext- interested mm-hmm. to explore those different angles of a, that make up who Lorna, are, who, who Lorna is. Yeah, it's, it's been a really interesting kind of um, dynamic back and forth tug of war all the way through, I think. So, um, so my first love is, is theatre and performing arts. I was a dancer, um, a contemporary dancer. I was um, a, a little girl who wanted to sing and wanted to act and was too scared. Um, too scared, couldn't see a way that I could do that. So um, I did my first degree in theatre and performance because I got brilliant parents who let me do something that I loved rather than told me to go and you know, learn a trade. But I was too scared to do it um, and made lots of excuses about um, not being able to do it. And so I kind of fell into one of those awful graduate recruitment schemes and programmes. And I did what everybody who doesn't know what they want to do for a living does which is end up in media sales to start off with so I went into media sales straight out of uni which kind of tumbled me into recruitment sideways which then landed me in the world of HR and people and talent and I thought hang on this is brilliant this is this is what does what makes people tick why do they do what they do how do we help people perform at their best how do we solve problems with and through people um, and when I interviewed for the last but one proper job that I had, somebody asked me exactly the same question that you've just asked. And I said, I think the common theme is why do people do what they do? Mm. But, you know, over the past year, I think I've explored that more and more. And I've spent more and more time integrating that performing arts part of me and the um, world of work and people at work and organisations part of me. And I fundamentally believe that those things that I was running away from, that fear of being vulnerable, of putting yourself out there, of having the courage to stand up and do something just from the heart um, that isn't cerebral at all. I see lots of conversations now around organisations about, ah, how do we do that? How do we help leaders do that? How do we become organisations that are more about uh, courage and connection and vulnerability and compassion? And I actually fundamentally believe that there are lots of answers to that in the world of performing arts. So it's almost like that integration is coming to full fruition for me at the moment. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's that's lovely. Are you able to speak about that at all? You know, have you sort of, is that evolved enough to sort of share with the listeners at the moment as to what that might look like in the future? Or is it still a bit early stage for you? No, I'm happy to share. I mean, I'm I'm a big one for kind of, um, you know, sharing ideas and piloting and not waiting until something's perfect before you kind of put it out there fully packaged. So um it's interesting just before we got on the on the phone i had a, a meeting with um a really good friend and business partner of mine that i've just started working with on a, a program for um, leaders within organizations that draws directly from the world of performing arts and through the lens of those things that we've just we just mentioned so um, I think one thing that's really curious about the world of performing arts and the world of leader within performing arts, and we talk about impresarios um, in this program that we're designing. So the concept of a producer or a director of an impresario um, 
is the equivalent, I guess, of a leader in organisations, but very often they're behind the scenes. You don't know who they are. They're the person who is out of the spotlight. Um, they've created a vision, drawn the team around that vision, enabled the team to perform and bring that vision to life, but also recognise that the talent needs to be the talent. So the talent needs to be able to interpret the roles in their own way, um, bring what makes them special to um, the concept and make it live. And so that's actually quite a different dynamic to the traditional leadership dynamic that lots of organisations and people grow up with. The idea that leaders are at the top of the tree and they're under the spotlight and they're under pressure. And if you look at sport and sporting analogies and the way that we fire a football manager every five minutes, mm. um, very different. And I think that different um, paradigm for leadership is a good one to explore in performing arts. Cool. I, I, I'm really intrigued by this because I, I... I can see that as such a clever parallel, actually. Mm. Did you feel, I really appreciate you touching on that sort of vulnerability piece, of course, a key, key part mm. of this podcast, but I can really see that there's almost an element of play. It sounds to me there's almost an element of being able to just put yourself into this alter ego for half a day rather than you sort of get, get rid of your sort of conditioned thinking or what you think you should look like and just letting yourself be a bit freer. Is that part of what you're sort of thinking? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, a, a lot of, of what we've been we've been talking about, and you've caught me off an, off an afternoon of, of play and playing concepts and ideas and exercises. But a lot of what we're talking about is this idea of um, trying different stories on for size, trying different characters on for size, developing characters. So if you were going to, um, one thing that I think is quite different from the world of performing arts to the world of um, business and, and leadership is that the world of performance very often starts with how do we want people to feel when they're in the auditorium, in the room, in the performance with us after they've watched the programme or the film, how do we want people to feel? Um, and if you designed leadership around how do you want people to feel, um, if you if you are the leader that's a very different question it's the one that's often um you know uh, posed in in organizations and so we want to play with that so if you want people to feel like this what are the characteristics of that leader what's the costume of that leader what props do you need what's the narrative what's the story that um that you're telling who are the characters in that story um and because you're layering around it this this concept of, of play and trying things on the size and getting into character it just it, it almost makes it a little bit more accessible i suppose um and so yes that idea of playing with it and um at the moment the, the program is almost in three acts as we call it so we've got an act that introduces the concept of the impresario and this piece which is about rehearsal and backstage which is absolutely all around play and practice and trying things out and writing different scripts and storylines so yeah quite exciting Gary really cool I'm well sign me up that's all I'm saying so uh, <laughs> seriously I think I think it's wonderful what you're doing and it just it resonates to me if I look at organizations you know people in my network and, and whatnot that I'm, I'm speaking to and seeing I think that the two bits the play bit absolutely but I think the practice bit mm. I think it's really powerful because from what I can see there's there's almost a fear around stopping getting mm. present and allowing yourself to practice because it's seen as a show mm. of weakness somehow if you need to practice I'm not yeah. sure if that resonates with you at all yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I draw from this a lot. So we talk a lot. Um, so the, the 
the guy that I'm working with on this program is actually also my vocal coach because as some people know I, I do a little bit of singing occasionally on the side and the style that I do quite a bit is jazz and in jazz you need to improvise to be able to improvise you need to almost let go of the idea of, of, of there being a right way of doing things and an idea of perfection um, and there's some brilliant clips of some you know really iconic artists who've played with the idea of getting stuff wrong and it working brilliantly and so if you look at the world of, um, of performing arts I'll give you an example one of the most downloaded um, and played tracks on Spotify of Elvis is is that one where he does are you lonesome tonight and then bursts into laughter in the middle of it mm -hmm. um, people have just really connected with that because it's real it's not perfect there's uh, an Ella Fitzgerald um, cover of Mac the Knife where she completely forgets the second verse, screws it up and sings about screwing it up and forgetting the second verse. She makes the mistake part of her performance. Um, and that ability to be so present, so okay with it not quite going to plan, um, all right with not quite knowing what to expect and not holding on to this perfect vision but going with what turns up is a concept that works really well in performing arts and actually some of the best performances come out of it a lot. Um, but we still struggle an awful lot with in the world of business, I think, where we have, you know, these targets and metrics and goals and performance measures. Um, and then we go and talk about how do we become more creative or more innovative or how do we engage people more? And we're kind of throwing, you know, babies out with bathwater a little. Um, so it's that that we want to reconnect with, that idea of play and imperfection and um, being able to be courageous enough to be vulnerable to make those mistakes and see where it goes. Oh, you know, it got me thinking a lot. <laughs> it's really, no, but re honestly, Lorna, it's just, it's just, I've got this beautiful vision in my head of this. Yeah, I'm just totally with you with what you're trying to do. But I've also got this crazy vision in my head of everyone's talking about, you know, we're moving away from the annual review and, you know, what, blah, 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 blah. We're not going to go into that too much today. But what's, mm. what's jumping out to me is what if the performance conversation actually included some of what you're describing? So we get away from performance metrics to actually performance in terms of storytelling. Mm. You know, it could be such a different conversation, couldn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah. There's something that um, that really resonates to me. I mean, I've not done loads of, of improv. And as I've just said, I think it's one of my things that I actually need to work on in, in my own kind of the singing part of, of my life is being able to be free and improvise. But there's an improvisation rule that if you read, I think it's either um, uh, Amy Schumer's book, she talks about this improvisation rule of yes and. So you're building on whatever somebody's done before, you're building on it rather than you might think it's crap, right? You might think you've got a better idea. You might think it could have been loads better, but you're building on it and therefore co-creating something even better together. Um, and that idea of kind of supporting each other and working with each other versus judging. Um, because of course, the minute that you're judging, you're, uh, it's that I, I don't know, somebody's observing you and judging you automatically, you're not in your peak state to perform. You're not, um, you know, when you know there's a critic in the audience in a performance, um, the front row sitting there with their arms folded and the clipboard's out, you're not going to perform as well as if people just want you to do well and the audience is behind you. And it's a similar concept, I think, in business and in performance management. Yeah, very, very interesting. 
just just out of interest, in terms of you know, we spoke you've spoken a little bit about vulnerability. If you was going to describe what vulnerability means to you personally, to someone else that maybe hadn't heard the term, how would you mm. define it? Just out of interest for you. Oh, so um, I've got uh, you can't see it because we've turned the video off. But on the wall of my um, my home office, there's a, a quote, and it's actually from Disney's Cinderella, because you know, take the learning where you can, Gary. But it says, <laughs> it says, have courage, be kind, um, and I think that's kind of two pillar stones of vulnerability for me, and they're they're but it's there for me for a reason because they're they're practice, right? Because I think when you are sometimes when you're really vulnerable and you feel exposed, your natural instinct is not kindness. Um, it's to defend with um, with attack or something more more sharp. Um, and true vulnerability for me takes immense courage. And I know Brene Brown talks an awful lot about that. But you know, my own journey, particularly if I think about my practice in singing and performing, and I've gone back not only to singing recently but also to dancing. So I've done like ballet and jazz dancing as a forty-one-year-old woman on stage recently, surrounded by sixteen-year-olds, and that takes a huge amount of comfort with vulnerability right not being the best just being okay with being who you are um and getting all your courage together to just do and put yourself out there um without knowing necessarily what you're going to get back and of course what you do get back particularly you see it in the world of performing arts more than anything else you get back so much more when you do that you're a bit, a bit able to connect with people um so much more clearly when you're able to do that but bloody hell does it take courage so I think um those two words sum it up for me courage and kindness that's that's lovely thank thank you for sharing that it's it's really interesting it's only been the last probably month or so actually that I've started to and again it's all subjective depending on who you are but this it's almost like two sides of the same coin vulnerability and courage depending Mm. on language and I think language is a big thing for me um, Lorna around you know I wrote something a while back around this this term soft skills you know and maybe we can have a both of a little bit of a mini rant here but I think but what's interesting for me is that although I feel personally vulnerability and courage are pointing in the same direction you know you could see it as courage being you know a more sort of maybe masculine way to describe it and then vulnerability being a more feminine way rightly or wrongly but I just think I find language in the world of work is so important if you're trying to sort of get things done. Is that something you challenge or share or what's your sort of take on that? I absolutely agree. So, um, you know, I've got a, I've got a degree in, in theatre. Of course, I feel language is important and the, the choice of, of word and tonality and how you position it and phrase it, what you do say, what you don't say is absolutely critical in the world of work um and of course all the layers of um preconception that people bring to a word so i might say courage and think standing out there completely exposed and vulnerable willing to share part of myself somebody else might think sas who dares wins right Mm. and they're two very different models of it which of course is why um, just exploring what it means to to you and being willing to listen to what it means to other people and share those ideas is is critical i'm going to put a feminist slant on it as well because we've how many minutes in and i haven't managed to do that so far gary which is disappointing <laughs> to me um my feminist slant is that there is an uh, there is a duty almost for us to take these concepts that can be defined in quite masculine ways um, 
and reframe them in a way that doesn't see it through a masculine lens. So the traditional masculine model of courage is the, you know, the, the militaristic striding into battle, beating your chest, you know, centurion. And there are lots and lots of different ways of demonstrating courage. There's a great quote that I keep close to me, which says, you know, courage isn't always the voice that roars. It's that small voice that says, I'll try again in the morning. And I think that's probably a lot more authentic for most of us, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. Mm, that's just re really interesting. Yeah, I've got, I'm going to try not to pull too much. You've got me thinking too much today, Lorna. It's a bit, it's a bit, bit worrying for a Friday. <laughs> Well, it's funny, actually, to sort of move on that part. What I really respect about you, Lorna, and I generally do mean this, is that you lean into your, you could say, you know, courage, vulnerability, whatever you want to call it. But I love how open you are to debate. For example, we met via Twitter. You know, Twitter's mm. a great community for debating, connecting and learning. And I just think it's, it's wonderful to see you showing up so authentically. We've met, of course, face to face. Mm. But I think, you know, it could be difficult for some people mm -hmm. to sort of represent or be congruent to who they are personally online. And I think you're someone that does that brilliantly. I just wanted to share that with you. Oh, thank you. That's, um, it's, it's good to hear. And I think I, I shared this when we met, didn't I? My, my Twitter handle is real Lorna Leeson for a reason. And it's not because um, I'm a diva, though maybe I'm a little bit, but it's because I want to be real, that idea of bringing my whole self to something. Um, I, Somebody said to me when I was doing my coaching training it, that, you know, you've only got so many light bulbs of energy to, uh, to, to use. And if you're using up a percentage of those light bulbs of, of mental and emotional and physical energy, because of course they're all the same thing on trying to hide part of yourself or be something that you're not or temper part of yourself, then um, gosh, what a waste of, of energy that could be, could be spent on, on so many other things. That said, it is actually quite bloody scary to to be who I am online sometimes. Um, and I have had uh, usually quite senior, well-established men send me direct messages saying, God, why are you being so difficult? Stop trying to be so clever. Um, and to take that and still show up every day and say what I'm thinking, which is, oh, I'm not sure that rings true for me. I'm not sure I believe that. Or tell me more. Or oh, here's a different point of view. Have you considered it? I, I appreciate it feels contrary sometimes, but I'm being more true to what's actually going on for me. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's super powerful. And, you know, it's, it's only be, you know, I've shared this on a couple of my, the podcasts so far, you know, and it's, it's, it sounds terrible as a, as a man of 42 years old, but, you know, the whole concept of sort of white male privilege is something that, you know, why would I see it in myself when it's not something that's discussed openly? And I think it's mm. good that progressively this year, and I think back to Brene Brown, actually, she done a wonderful um, challenge on a Facebook Live last year around white supremacy. And, you know, as, as a white male myself, it's really interesting because I come up against myself personally, the, you know, the alpha male behavior, the language, the sexism, the bullying. Now, I've been bullied myself in, in the world of work in the last decade, you know. Mm. But when it gets challenged, it gets passed off as banter. And I think there's still a lot of insidious mm. stuff in the world of work, which you wouldn't necessarily accept at home. And I just, I'm, I still haven't quite worked that bit out, Lorna, for me, how <laughs> some stuff seems to be acceptable at work, but not at home. I don't know. Is that something that you come across at all? or I think there's lots of constructs that um, if we're looking at what the future of work really means, and we take the boring technology piece out of the equation, because that's the easy bit, and we look at the what's left for humanity bit, um, 
we're going to need to dismantle some of these constructs that the industrial age and the age of computing has built up around us right these ideas that we um you know the like professionalism what does professionalism mean it just means you know we get to put you in these boxes and treat you this way and you you don't get to um to to be you sometimes and i so if the boxes and the way that we treat people is very patriarchal and very masculine and very male dominated and that's just been the way that things have been done um and somebody does say hey that's not right they're usually the voice of dissent they're usually a lone voice they're usually not um it's quite jarring i think um and i've been in that scenario i mean i've been sitting in a boardroom um with a group of white men talking about diversity um uh, and had a really curious range of responses um you know i've been the person saying to the boardroom full of white men um hi guys you've been talking about diversity and inclusion for 15 minutes now and not once asked the woman in the room what she thinks um and sometimes being the person who calls that out is really really hard when you've got to pay the bills you've got power dynamics at play um you've got beliefs like um if you call it out you'll get fired um you know that run like kind of truths that aren't necessarily truths in organizations and i think there's still a lot of fear around a lot of this stuff that just stops it from being um exposed for what it is and i think we are going to have to expose some of that stuff for what it is if we're really going to make a difference in the areas that we're starting to talk about like how do people experience work and how do we become more inclusive organizations and how do we become more ethical organizations we're going to need to start to call out some elephants no wonderful completely with you on that and i'm i'm, I'm quite excited by the next uh, the next few years actually and on, on that note who who or what is inspiring you as Lorna the most right now oh uh, my goodness um so much and I, I i kind of i get a little bit i get a little bit imposter syndrome when those questions get asked gary because i think some people who are much um you know more educated and cerebral than than than, than i am come up with some really uh insightful answers to those questions but i'm i'm going to keep it real right it's the people that i connect with online very often who bring different points of view and, and perspectives um it's i'm reading um I'm reading James O'Brien's book, How to Be Right, which is a really interesting take on um, challenging people and the reactions you get from challenging people and why he does what he does and his own journey. So I found that really curious and he does it with, with a lot of humour and, um, and energy and I think that's, that's fab. Um, I'm actually... <laughs> I'm inspired by people outside of the world of work. I'm inspired by my sister-in-law who's got, you know, two six-year-old twins, a full-time job, just um, redeveloped her whole house. One of the twins has got cerebral palsy. She holds it all together. She remembers everybody's birthday. She runs half marathons. I'm inspired by her. So um, I just think, crikey, how do you do what you do? Um, so I'm more inspired by real people than... Um, than experts and I sound like Michael Gove now don't I <laughs> no, you really don't, don't worry about you, you, you really, really don't you're absolutely fine with that no but that, that's lovely One, wonderful wonderful but you know something I think what you're saying there is so powerful because again how you and I've met how so many of us are meeting now 
you know, the beauty of technology is that we can do this, you know, relatively cheaply, relatively easily, and actually find other human beings, mm. you know, that challenge, debate, le- you can learn with. And I just think, for me, that's what inspires me most right now is this, you know, the ease of us finding each other, not just to be in an echo chamber, but to challenge as you do, as I do, as others do, to, mm. to genuinely try and move, move all this stuff forward. I, I just love all that. So, yeah, really, re- really inspiring. Yeah, real people are inspiring. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really are. They really are. And the more you put yourself out there and get to know them and, you know, connect with them, which, of course, back to the theme, requires vulnerability and courage, actually, to get to know real people, really, then the more inspired you become. When you look at your business at the moment, if I may ask, um, Laura, Mm -hmm. um, you've been going, what, 12 months now, I think now, with with, with Little Tent? Yes. um, With with your own business. What what Mm. sort of work are you doing? Is, Is it very varied? Is there certain areas of your practice that you be focusing on just out of interest or um so I've been going for a year um when I set up I'm very honest about this when I, I set up when I first started everybody says to me oh, you, it seems like you've got a big grand plan Lorna and you know you've designed this really well and I hadn't I just went crikey it's January the 2nd I better I better go back to work what do I do and I updated my LinkedIn page and I set up a website and I wrote about what it was that I wanted to do and luckily I've attracted the work that I think fits with a few exceptions so I've done um, a good amount of coaching working one-on-one with leaders usually board members or directors who are making a change or or want to make a change in how they 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 do things um, either organizationally or personally and my feeling is that they're two sides of the same coin or I've done work, I mean, I've, I've worked with Global Oil and Gas Company on, um, I hate the phrase digital transformation, that's what they, that's what they called it, and how they um, engaged their people with that and brought people along and designed it in a way that works for people. And then because my passion really is this idea of how do we get better at that human side of work and, um, and really bring that through and challenge organisations to, to explore that more? That's the reason that this performing arts leadership piece is, um, is now emerging. But Gary, it's taken me a year and sometimes, you know, you take the work that pays the bills to mm. get you the space to do the stuff that you want to do. So, I'm toying with a blog, blog post at the moment around kind of my reflections on my first year of, of being by myself. And I think lots of us are very guilty, particularly because we think we have to success breeds success and all that. We have to say, it's been marvellous. I've done this. I've written a book. I've, you know, done worked here. I've worked with these people. I'm doing so wonderfully. Sometimes it's crap. Sometimes you go home at the end of a, a day and there's no manager to say to you, it's all right. You're doing great. Carry on. No colleagues to go down the pub with and go, oh, well, that was shit, but we've still got each other, you know. Um, and sometimes you you take a piece of work because you need to pay the mortgage or buy yourself three months to, to work on something. And maybe it's not quite in the sweet spot that you wanted. Um, and then every so often you do some work that's brilliant and right in your sweet spot and gets you buzzing and moves you that little incremental bit forward. But it's not, it's a cha-cha, not a, you know, a, a, a forward march. I love it. And I'm, I'm, I'm particularly pleased that you brought some dance analogies into this conversation. I was going to be really, really upset if you didn't. To be honest. So. It is. Yeah. It's a cha-cha or it feels like a Viennese world sometimes, right? It's fast and it's furious and you feel a bit sick at the end of it, but it looks pretty. 
Okay, I've got I've got well too many I've got well too many mental models <laughs> that relate to that. We, we'll, we'll carry on moving on that one. But I do want to come back actually on your blogs. You, you write some really, really, really good articles, and there's one I just want to touch on and explore with you a little bit, which links mm-hmm. links what you just described. And it's one, and I, I recommend anybody that's listening to this podcast to, to have a look on your LinkedIn page and look at the article. We need to talk about work because mm-hmm. one of the things that struck me the most, and it's really, really powerful, Lorna is you, you speak about the fact that organisations and governments persist in being dishonest about the number of people that we need to do the work that's, that's there to be done. Do you mind mm-hmm. expanding on that a little bit? Where, where, where did that come from? Where did that insight come from? Or where, where did that trigger in you? Hmm. Um, it triggers in me um, a number of things. So my own personal experience, um, this idea that what we need to do is deliver a, a profit this quarter, um, uh, profit to the shareholders, squeeze this extra amount of value in pounds or dollars out of this organisation because we've committed it to the markets. Um, and we seem to come back to the way to do that is to be more efficient and the way to be more efficient is to, to do more with, with less. Um, and so personal experiences particularly of good intentions, right, Gary? Good intentions of we're going to make things more efficient by automating process or, um, you know, streamlining things. But, of course, real life gets in the way and what you very often are asking people to do is, is more, more with less. Mm-hmm. To go on a learning curve but not giving them the space and time to, to really make that adaptation. So you're asking us to do something more, more difficult for a period of time and just piling more and more on top of them. And then also um, I co-facilitated a coaching training um, course towards the end of last year. And one of the people that um, was training to be a coach was a very senior director in the NHS. Um, and I think in our public services, you actually now see some, you know, uh, people who ordinarily wouldn't make their voice backs to the wall so much that there's been so much squeezed out of them so much funding taken away from them and so many targets put on top of them that they have to say we can't give any more um, and I think we kid ourselves we kid ourselves that if we just put a target on it um, and take some money away we'll get efficiency out of the end of it and that's not that's not how it happens is it and I think it's disingenuous and I think it's, um, I think it's bullshit, frankly. I really do. And I think if we were more honest, we'd say, what are we actually doing to people? What's the frontline impact of this? Um, and is that really worth the incremental percentage on the shareholder return? Because somebody needs to have the balls to go back into the shareholder meeting and go, no, you're not getting an increase on your return because somebody at the end of it is absolutely exhausted mm-hmm. and is signed off with stress and their family's suffering and their health is suffering. And we have to quit. We have to quit. Yeah, no, I, I share all of that, actually. There's, there's, um, there's a great book, I don't know if you've come across it, by David Graeber called Bullshit Jobs. Hmm, no, it sounds it's like re- my kind of book. Yeah, <laughs> it's, re- it's really powerful because what he speaks about is that actually we still, for t- we still, unfortunately, I guess partly the capitalist model, partly the mindset of the last 30, 40 years, is that we reward those jobs that actually offer humanity the least. So mm. the solicitors, lawyers, mm. IP consultants, you know, mm. management, you know, with all due respect, you know, those roles, whilst they're rewarded heavily with finance, they contribute the least to 
well-being of society whereas you look at your nurses you look at firefighters you look at you know, you know, exceptionally, you know, social workers, they're all on sort of a fraction of the money. And this really yeah. struck me, really struck me. And I think it's sort of pl- playing into a little bit of what you're talking about here, which is, you know, just how do we, how do we rebalance that? How do we actually ensure that there's a better distribution of, of wealth, basically? Uh, yeah. Know. Yeah. I mean, I get, I get the economist's answer to that question, Gary, which is, you know, well, you know, there's a kind of, there's the jobs that people really want to do because they've got a core purpose and a calling and that's, you know, the teaching and nursing and charity work mm-hmm. and then the stuff you have to pay them more to do because they, you know, they, they haven't got all of that. But I do think that's nonsense too, because I think it comes down to what's, what's creating what's perceived to be value in society. And where we've seen to have got to is that what's perceived to be value is that which can be counted with a pound or a dollar sign in front of it. And I think you know, there's been a conversation the past couple of days on Twitter, hasn't there around, um, should we have a, a return investment cash return investment argument for doing well-being at work no we bloody well shouldn't you've got to the point where you need to justify in cash terms why looking after your people is the right thing to do you need to go home into a dark corner and take a long hard look at yourself you soulless so-and-so um, was that strong enough uh, I, 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 I think i think i think you held back lord it's good I, I, I think you held back i didn't swear as much as i might ordinarily do gary but i don't know what kind of editing you're going to need to do here so <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm glad you're saying it so passionately though because it, it is true it, it, it's so it, I, I was quite shocked by that myself as well um is, i mean i don't mean to you know i'm not going to single people out but these are people who are held up as being you know good management thinkers and another thing that i read this week was a critique in vanity fair about harvard business school and what they teach people which seems to be completely devoid of ethics and empathy and that shit's just got to be put back in and i know it sounds we've been we've been boxing that as that's the pink and fluffy stuff that's the touchy feely stuff that's the nice to have stuff that's the stuff that unless we have it it's all going to crumble eventually it will it will eventually crumble so we need to face up to it and actually there is an element of owning that and being courageous enough to acknowledge the vulnerability in that and the humanity in it oh it's lovely look at oh god i, I couldn't have, i couldn't have designed that better for you as we start to sort of wrap up lauren that's a wonderful uh, <laughs> but it is isn't it you know whether it's at governmental level whether it's your own relationship you know that ability just to go first and question hang on is how we're doing this now really the best way you know i just yeah. don't hear that enough i really do not hear that enough <laughs> Yeah, I think it, I do think it takes courage, right? It does take courage to be the one person in the room going, hang on, that doesn't feel right. I'm not sure that's the right thing to do. Or hang on, you did that and I don't like it. That takes real courage because nobody wants to be the person who's perceived to be difficult or, um, you know, uh, negatively challenging. So I think it needs to be done with a, and here's some things that we could also do differently. But we have to step up. We're all accountable for this. Those little voices, um, which, by the way, I'm going to get this plug in, is the reason that Little Tent, my business, is called Little Tent, because it's the first line from the song A Change Is Going to Come by Sam Cooke. Um, And that song is about a social movement. It's about change coming from the bottom up through people. Um, And even when it feels hard and you feel like you've come from nowhere and you don't have a voice, that change is still possible. So the, um, I was born by the river in a little tent, right? Come from very humble, small beginnings, but I've still got the hope and the potential for change. And I absolutely think we all need to hold on to that and do our small bit where we are to drive it. 
Oh, that, that, that is beautiful. Thanks for explaining that. You've, uh, you've covered one of my questions, which I had for you as we were wrapping up <laughs> where the name come from. So that's, that's absolutely amazing. You know, before we find out how people can reach out to you, Lorna, I just want to ask, when are you next uh, performing one of your jazz improvs or when are you going to be having a little sing song or doing some sort of dancing? Where do you do, where do, you do all of this? Where, where's home for you? Where is home for me? So I will be doing, the next thing I'm doing, it's not very glam, it's a bit of an open mic night um, at a pub called the Fox in Farthinghoe. They'll be so proud for that plug. Um, and I'm actually not going to do jazz. I'm going to do a song from um, A Star Is Born because everyone's doing a song from A Star Is Born at the moment. Um, and I love me a little bit of Lady Gaga. So that's going to be in um, a week and a half's time. And then I'm going to go and record some stuff in the new year. So I'm going to go into recording studio and do some recording and then um this is me owning my vulnerability and courage piece i need to start pushing myself out there a bit more i think oh wonderful well seriously you're i have to say not only well done on your idea but like thank you for doing it because i just think there's such a need um for you know this idea you've got around using a sort of you know creative creative practice almost in essence for mm. the leaders i just i just think it's such a good idea and i genuinely would be interested to uh, to come along to that so all the best with that so would you mind letting the listeners know how can they get hold of you what's the what's the best routes via social media and or other ways just in case they want to reach out yeah absolutely so i am um i'm on twitter at real lorna leeson i believe um i'm also on instagram with something very similar um i'm on linkedin which is just forward slash lorna leeson um there's not many lorna leesons out there um or you can email me at lorna at lornaleeson.co.uk i should probably update that to little tent but i'm not very good with the admin so there we go that's me <laughs> owning my imperfection love it so look <laughs> you've been an absolute joy lorna thank you so much for joining me um today and i look forward to speaking again soon thank you gary take care bye take care bye Hi there, Gary Turner just wrapping up this wonderful podcast with Lorna Leeson from Little Tents. So many takeaways, uh, as always, for me, but I think I'd like to start by reflecting on education. Um, I think what's really interesting is hearing Lorna talk about that she had brilliant parents who would let her do what she loved, i.e. following her, her passions, going to the creative arts instead of being forced down a more technical route or a more sort of business route, whatever it might have been. I think that's really, really powerful. And it also links back to me, I think about the Ken Robinson TED Talk from 2006, how schools kill creativity. And, you know, I can just see something, you know, this isn't fully scientifically based, but I believe there's something in, if you go through the rote bums on seats, everything matters based after on an exam at the end of three years versus this iterative creative process. You know, I, I can't help feeling there's something in that. You know, if, we're, if we were able to, and, and society and business actually created more space and value in the more of the artistic approach. I think we'd have a much, much easier time right now dealing with rehumanizing work, a much easier time with the more iterative VUCA world that everybody talks about. So really, really interesting reflections there for me. And I think it also shows, shows up for Lorna and that she's not a perfectionist. You know, she's happy to release work on a minimal vi viable product basis, which links again to the likes of scrum working, agile working, uh, where there's an awful lot of talk um, currently. I also enjoyed... Lorna's reflections with regard to courage and vulnerability. So she thought it was important that we explore what it means to us, but also what it means to other people. And I think this for me is the crux, whether you want to call it courage, whether you want to call it vulnerability, it's just about being human, knowing that your, your view is not the only view. 
you know, there's 7 billion people on this planet all with their own separate view of reality, what it looks like for them. So just having that conversation, what are they seeing? What does it mean to you? Is going to allow us to collaborate and to empathize and really connect with each other much more effectively and thereby get better results as an outcome. I really liked the, the quote. I need to try and dig it out. Um, that Lorna shared, which is courage isn't always the voice that roars. It is the voice that says, I will try again in the morning. I think that's absolutely beautiful. And I also found this is heavily linked to this discussion we had around soft skills versus hard skills. You know, language being such, a, such an important um, topic, particularly for leadership to be thinking about. And finally, I'd just like to just reflect. And I think it's really, really important. And I'm thinking about this more as I, as I reflect on this podcast. Lorna quoted, you only have so many light bulbs of energy to use. You know, I think about the work of Perry Timms and he does a lot of work around energy as well. I just, you know, Lorna's an inspiration to me, Perry's an inspiration to me. I've got so many inspirations. I'm so lucky as an as individual. I have an amazing network of people. But I just want people, if they're listening to this, to hold that thought. Why would you waste another single energy light bulb that you have on something that doesn't bring you joy or value or to use those um, light bulbs fearing or procrastinating or worrying so thank you lorna beautiful beautiful podcast so many reflections for me and i really hope that people listening to this podcast have taken stuff away from it as well um, if you have please do feedback to lorna or myself you can find her contact details in the show notes and as always we're always grateful to receive um, any feedback that you're open and willing to offer on, on the itunes app under value through vulnerability and until next time i'm your host gary turner Thank you.